So if you would, let, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and pray that first and foremost you would still our hearts from the busyness and noise of this world. Father, cleanse us. We desire to see your will done this morning and hear from your word. And Father, we desire that for this country and for this nation, Father. As politics are trying to make things better, Father, that's not what's going to do it. It's going to be a cleansing of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's going to be a revival in the home, a revival in our hearts, a revival in each city and county and eventually our nation. Father, we desire to turn our hearts back to you. And you promised if we turn our hearts back to you, you will hear from us. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have to come and gather and worship. Uh, uh, amazing worship, Father. Thank you for that gift. And, and we pray it was um, just a, a beautiful sound to you. And, and Father, we have the freedom to do that. We have a, a building that we can come to that's air-conditioned. Father, we don't get persecuted or have to meet in a basement. Father, we, we praise you for those in the military that have given their lives to ensure that we have this freedom. Father, we pray that your hand would be upon those families. Father, the husbands, the wives, the children, the mothers and fathers that have lost those that have served this country. Uh, myself having lost five good friends, Father, restore and repair those hearts. Yes, yes. Let their death not be in vain, Father. We thank you for this morning. Pray that you would minister to each of our hearts. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're going to take a look this morning, uh, a little bit of what, what the Lord has for us in ex as an example of faith and the action that will naturally come from it. So today's message is aptly called Faith Drives Action. And, and as soon as the Lord gave me this, all I could think of was rally racing, so hence the, the picture. So a little story about the background, because you, you always want to know, well, well, how does someone really decide on, okay, well, we're going to hear from the book of Luke. Well, so I went to, my wife and I went to Israel with the team uh, in February, and after 10 days, we're flying back, and you leave Israel, we're flying through Turkey, and we, we change planes, we get on the plane, and, and first off, half the people were sick going there, half the people were sick on the bus, half the people were sick on the plane coming back, not just from us, but the plane in general, right? So we're, we're getting on the plane, plane takes off, you know, my, my brother Trevor's sick, uh, and then Pastor Tim and Sarah are sitting in front of Julie and I, and, and everyone's getting kind of in their seat, and I hear Pastor Tim say, I don't feel so well. And I think to myself, oh no, because, <laughs> you know, Trevor is sick, Pastor Russ taught, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm teaching. So the first thing, the first thing you do, though, is you pray, you, you know, I pray for Pastor Tim and, of course, his family, because you never want a whole family to go down and be sick. And then I, I have, I'm like, 38,000 feet. I've got, you know, 12, 13, 14-hour-plus flight. Lord, I'm, I, I got nowhere to go. What do you, what do you want me to do? So, uh, so the Lord put on my heart Luke chapter 8, and that's where we're going to be in. Um, Luke chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 40, and, and and many of you have read or have seen these or been had these um, events referenced to you, and they might seem like they're separate, um, separate people, separate needs. Um, 
But the miracles that the Lord performs in their lives highlight the commonalities that they had seeking help from the Lord. We're going to take a look at that this morning because we want to know what the application is that the Lord has for us. And I want to say application because that's, that's what's key. When you do your devotion in the morning or, or you come to church and you read the word, you, you want to know how the Lord wants you to apply his word in your life. Otherwise, you could easily read a book, put it down, and walk away and just enjoy what you read. But the Lord wants you to read his word and apply why it's in there to your own life. So we're going to do that this morning. So one thing I like to do is we're going to read the scripture. I'll read. I want you guys to follow along because um, the simplicity of the word is beautiful. I could just stand up here and read the entire book of John and be done. And the Lord would minister to each of your hearts in a different way. Um, but before we actually read, there, there's two parts to this morning's teaching. You know, it, faith and, and action, as I have stated. Faith will always drive action. Um, you know, I have faith that you guys are going to come here this morning and the Lord is going to speak to your heart. But without the action of me, you know, praying over it, reading uh, what the Lord had to, to be taught about this morning, praying that the Lord would do work in my heart, praying that the Lord would teach me. Without those actions, I would get up here and it might be a little awkward because I wouldn't really have anything to say. You know, I have faith that I've got food in my kitchen and I'm going to have dinner tonight. But without any kind of preparation or action on my part, I'm going to walk in the kitchen and there won't be anything and I'm going to be fasting tonight, right? So, so you can have faith in something, but there's sometimes action on your part that has to be done. And I, those were two hypothetical situations. I pray I'm not fasting tonight, but I will if need be. I got a real-life example. So in, in 1999, I went through Fort Benning, Georgia, and I went through the Army uh, Airborne School. And as you go through it, it's multiple weeks. You learn all the ins and outs and all the technicalities of how to jump out of a perfectly good airplane and how the parachute's going to work. So you have these things called sticks, right? So these sticks are the people that are right next to you. And those are the people that are going to be lined up against, like with you on the side of the airplane as you jump out the same side, right? So I had one stick on one side. There was another stick on the other side. And you get real tight with the people that are right next to you because as you're going through learning how to do this, you, you talk a lot and you hear things. And, and so I had, I had three guys that were, were next to me. I had two... Navy EOD guys on one side and a Marine uh, Force Recon guy on the other side. And, uh, and, and we start talking, and, you know, you, you have faith that you're going to jump out and you're just going to land safely. Like, it's, it's magic. You're just going to jump out and you're going to be fine. Well, you had faith that the rigor packed your chute properly, that they'd gone to school, they'd been trained, and they knew how to do it. You had faith that you got JMPI. It's a jump master parachute inspection, right? You had faith that that jump master, who's had over 400 jumps, knew how to look at your equipment and knew how to find something that was wrong. You had faith that all of those things were going to make you land safely. So that would be great, but we had actions we had to take ourselves. So when you're suited up in the airplane, you've got actions. You can't just get on and expect everything to go perfect. You know, one of the things you have to do is your, your stick has to all work together. You stand up and you got to hook up on the static line, right? Because that's what's going to pull your chute out of your, of your parachute as you jump out. 
you actually check your buddy in front of you to make sure as he was boarding the aircraft and sat down, something didn't snag on his harness or parachute. Uh, and then, you know, as you're walking towards the door of the airplane, you're, you're holding the, the, the cord that's going to actually pull your chute out. You have to actually take a step forward and hand it off to the jump master standing at the door. Now, a lot of this I realize is like, we're going right over your guys' head. Don't worry. I'm going to cover that. The reason I bring this up is because if you don't do those steps, it can be disastrous. And I actually had a real-life example of this take place in my stick. So on the aircraft we were on, we had a young 18-year-old that was just like, I can do anything, and he forgot to hand off his core to the jump master. He just kind of slid it down the line. Well, when you're at 1,200 feet above ground, there's a lot of wind with both doors open. So as he pushed it to the jump master, it flew back as he jumped out the door, wrapped around his neck, and his body was banging the side of the aircraft. Two jump masters had to pull him in, and you didn't hear about it until you are actually on the ground, and we were putting on our chutes for the next jump, and you see him sitting over in the corner with a black and blue mark around his neck. So praise the Lord, he was all right. But it was a direct result of him not taking an action that he should have taken. So he could have had all the faith in the world that his parachute was going to make him land safely, but he didn't even land because he didn't take an action. So with that, and I realized some of this is going out, I, I, I had to, and I didn't even realize I was doing this on Memorial Day, so it worked out great. I had to put a YouTube clip together. So if you would, just take a look. Go ahead and play it. That is fun. <laughs> but I realize some of you may not like doing that. But it gives you a visual, visual representation of what I'm talking about. You see them all handing it off and the jump master collecting them. So there's actions that we have to do on our behalf. All right. So faith drives action. Let's read. Luke chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 40 and read through 56. And I'll go ahead and read. So Luke 8 verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying, but as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared to him, in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him 
and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So as we read scripture, I always like to have a, a, a general understanding of what's going on at that period of time, right? You want to know, you, you kind of want, want to read the scripture beforehand to get an idea of what, what was happening. So at this point in time, Jesus had, had returned to Capernaum, right? He had just returned from casting out the demons from, from the man across the Sea of Galilee, right? So he'd gotten back in the boat and come back to Capernaum. And, you know, for those that have been to Israel, um, you'll, you'll know this. For those that have been to another country, their streets are not like ours. Ours are made for a car on either side, two lanes of passing, sidewalks, a shoulder. Uh, other countries aren't exactly like that. And at this point in time here in Capernaum, streets are very narrow. Um, it's easy for it to get crowded, and they're not paved, right? So these are some dirty streets. Now, the multitudes were all waiting for Jesus. Um, so they welcomed him, of course, because, you know, he had just... Um, brought back to life the widow's son from the town of Nain. So when someone comes back to life from the dead, news travels pretty fast, right? So people were waiting for him. Now, it says the multitudes thronged him. Now, that's not really a term we use. Like when Julie asked me how my day at work was, and I would say, ah, I was thronged today. It doesn't have the ring to it, right? So we want to truly understand the word that thronging means. So as we read this, in the Greek word thronged is actually uh, um, totally defined, thank you, uh, as almost suffocating him, right? So this wasn't just a normal crowd. Think of uh, the concerts where people are pressing and crushing people up against the gates. Um, I was stationed in South Korea, and, and go-home traffic on the subway, Personal space is not the same there as it is here, and, and, and you're pressed together for people that have been on subways uh, or metro stations like that. It, it was a crushing factor, and there were tons of people around. Um, so it wasn't a very easy time to walk around. So that's kind of the situation of what's happening. Let's talk about the different people, because we want to know more about Jarius, and we want to know more about this woman. So Jarius, this was the ruler of the synagogue. Remember, in this time frame, the synagogue was the, the, the central place to the town, right? So he was the ruler of the synagogue. People knew him. He had a, a respected position in the community and in that town. Um, so he would have been a modern-day pastor, if you will, right? Uh, he would have traveled in the city. People would have known him. 
just like Pastor Tim does, right? So Pastor Tim talks to people beforehand and after the service, and I'm assuming Jarius would have spoken to people outside of the service there at the synagogue. They would have known he had a family, and they would have known he had a daughter. So his family would be known throughout Capernaum. His situation was that he had a daughter that was so sick, she was literally on the verge of death. And, 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 and he had a sense of urgency. So let's look at the woman. So we have Jairus, and then we have this woman that were, were described. A woman who um, had spent all of her money to try and heal herself, had everything in the world spent to try and fix what was wrong and yet had not found a solution of any kind. So she had 12 years of physical suffering and, and had gone everywhere to see everyone to fix, but couldn't. And she was at her wit's end. She had nowhere to turn because uh, everything she had attempted and tried failed. And, and really, her condition made her ceremonially unclean. So that was an issue because if she touched anyone, that would have made them unclean and not been able to partake in, in any kind of worship. So, you know, according to the uh, uh, Jewish ideas of the time, um, they thought that her uncleanness would have been imparted to whomever she might have touched. Um, she had gone to doctors to get better, only suffered worse and became poor. And what, what, I, what I like about this is you've got to remember Luke is a physician, so he knows what the costs were at that time for someone to, to uh, go see a physician, to be healed. And, and he knew that something like this could drain your bank account, could take all that you had. And frankly, nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Doctors can still drain your bank account and take all that you have. Uh, if you have a child in braces, if you have delivered a child and you know hospital bills, if you've been in a car accident, it's evident nothing's changed. Just inflation numbers have gone up, right? So Luke is, is writing this, and he understands. And, and um, so he's painting the picture that livelihood is all gone, and, and she has nothing left. So why are we going to talk about these two, what, what seems like separate things? Now, we're not just going to talk about them because they happen to be right next to each other in Scripture, right? When, when the writers of Scripture, they didn't just stop and say, okay, I'm done with chapter one. I'm going to do chapter two after lunch. Right? So these two things, yes, they're together in Scripture, but they, they really tie together because of the actions of both Jarius and the woman. And that's the one thing we want to look at this morning. We want it to be an example uh, to each of us. So the three points this morning I have um, are abandon, faith, and action. All separate. Um, but I'm not good with alliteration like Pastor Tim is, where, you know, the same letter for each word, so I'm going to make you work a little bit more this morning. So abandon, we'll talk about faith and then action. First one is abandon. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, Scripture doesn't say whether this woman was Jewish or not, um, but you would think that she was living in Capernaum or being there. But she had expended all of her money and all of her livelihood. She had nothing left. And frankly, she had nothing left to lose at this point. So let that sink in. Everything was done, nothing left to lose. But after all of 12 years doing what she could, nothing. 
she was done caring for the stature. Um, you know, I have to imagine for this going on for 12 years, you're, you're spending quite a lot. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, and Scripture doesn't say, but I have to imagine that she, she was decently well off if you're going to spend things over and over and over for 12 years straight to try and get better. But at this point, she's done with stature. Um, she doesn't care what people are going to think. Um, she, she, ha- she pushed all of that aside. She's literally abandoned caring what the world would think. Well, how do, how do we get this? Well, let's look. She, she knows that she's ceremonially unclean. Like if she came and, and just flat out made a, a big to-do about her wanting to see Jesus, people would have not allowed her to get near them or touch them, per se, right? So, but she does her actions anyways. She wanted to do this secretly, and, and we're going to go into why, because the scripture says that she went and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. She didn't ask for open, she didn't ask in the open for Jesus to heal her. Um, she didn't approach really unannounced. She, she touched the border of his garment or, or fringe. And, and see, in the Greek, it's a Septuagint term. And it actually means a tassel, which male Jews wore at the bottom outer corner of their garment. So this wasn't like she reached out and touched the hem of his shirt standing up or his, his, his top. This was at the outer corner garment. So the way I read this, based on what that term means, she wasn't standing up. She was low. Low most likely to not be seen and to just reach out and touch Jesus. So that's what she did. She had to stoop low in the dirty ground. So she abandoned what anybody would think, what anybody would care about, and this is what she knew. Like, I'm just going to do this. I don't care. I don't care what people think. But now let's look at Jairus. What does Jairus do? So Jairus is, is, is a little different, right? His position, while, while she may not have had one, he does. He's the leader of the synagogue there. He's the ruler. He's respected and, and what I would call an, uh, an upper end, so to speak. He, he held a prominent place, and yet Scripture tells us he fell at the feet of Jesus begging so you've got to, I like to slow down and, and, and read things not like a book because you pass over key details, right? The ruler of the synagogue was on the dirty ground begging at the feet of Jesus in front of everyone. Remember, everybody in the town knew who he was. He no doubt knew that other rulers of synagogues in neighboring towns knew of Jesus and probably what they thought of him. And he probably knew exactly what might happen if he did this. It would be giving up, essentially giving up his position. It would be giving it up. And really, it's no different for anyone today. If you held a prominent place, whether in business or in your community or in society in general, you have to weigh. There's always a scale. And most people weigh, do I really want do I, do I want people to know that I'm a Christian? Do I want people to know my faith? What is it going to do? What's their perception of me going to be? And you weigh it. And, and Satan does a great job of adding extra weight to the what if I 
What, what if you really do that? What if you really do that? And he's a ruler of a synagogue. So Satan was pushing that scale down, and he had to weigh it. He had to weigh what people would think of him and what impact it might have. But you know what? Jerry's made the right decision in this case. He abandoned what anyone would think. He didn't care. He dropped to Jesus' feet to beg him on behalf of his daughter, and, and, and an only daughter, age 12. Shoot, yeah, this is, it. I love this part of scripture because I can directly relate to this. I have an only daughter, age 13. And you, you ask me how low I would be and how quickly I would get rid of my pride if it meant healing or the saving of my daughter. Uh, men, I mean, this is really like the definition of temporary insanity if you mess with my daughter, right? But at the same time, equal opportunity, women, I have seen some mama bears come out to play when your child has something going on, right? So each of us are affected like this, but it, all of that didn't matter. He would do anything to heal his daughter. So our question at this point in time right now for us is how easily do we do the same? How easily do we abandon whatever it is in our life? And, and pick. You know, these two things that we're talking about, both of them were, were physical healing. But that's not what I'm referring to right now. This is something we can apply in our lives for anything. It doesn't just have to be physical healing, like the examples here in the Bible. If you have a, uh, something going on at school, if you have something going on at work, if you have relationships that aren't matching up and you're butting heads with people, if you don't know how to to take something that's going on. Maybe, maybe there's financial stress. Maybe it's anything under the sun, this still applies. So please don't put up a barrier thinking that, well, I'll only, I'll only do this if it's physical. How easy do we abandon whatever it is? Because here's the thing. God already knows what's on your scales. He already knows your heart. God's wondering if you'll walk it out. And if you'll actually acknowledge him, right? You know, it's not often or easy. I'm, I'm, I'm here to say for me or for probably any of us in here, most of us have to be driven there. Like we have, we have to be driven there, right? And, and, and we, uh, as soon as I said that, probably some of you are like, oh, man. Like you have one instance like where that like pops to your mind. And that's okay. We all do. That's our testimony. And it's our continual <laughs> sanctification, Right? But there are times where we have to be driven there, driven to our knees. And for me, it's I'll, I'll go there after I've tried all of 42 years of professional experience I've had in my life and what I've found to put in practice and work. Uh, only then, only then will, will, if all 8 million of those things don't work, will I actually, okay, I'll admit. I'll abandon all that stuff. So the problem is that's so much pain. It's so much heartache. And, and tired. You just get tired. Um, repeatedly being worn down. I, 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 was, I was praying about this and reading this. I'm like, why can't we just learn to start there? Why can't I learn to start there? And, and, and you know, like I said, not, not physical. Sometimes, like, if, if, you're, if, you, if you're about to have uh, a, a shock because you ate a peanut and you're allergic to peanuts, get the, get the pen. You know, but in... in everything, why can't we just learn to start with Jesus? Amen. So these two examples 
uh, regarding abandon, uh, Jarius and the woman. We have one beginning on his knees and one ending on hers. Need to be our remembrance to abandon the earthly solution, so to speak. Well, if you just did this, or your buddy at work tells you, well, I did this, that, that works. If we just learn to start there, start in a lowly position at the feet of Jesus, instead of ending there, start with Christ. So the next thing, you know, we talked about abandon, and we see them abandoning, caring for what the world thinks, caring about everything around them to just get to Jesus, right? So the next thing is, let's go to faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, many of you know it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. John 7.38 says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. M- Morrison said this about Jarius. Everybody in Capernaum knew Jarius, but no one knew that he believed in Christ until his little daughter was at the point of death, and it's then that he confessed it. You know, the woman, as she approached, she approached Jesus with, with a degree of superstition and an element of faith. And, and why do I say that? We don't have proof that Jesus healed in this way at any other time. She didn't hear of Jesus doing this or somebody being healed in some other town. Hey, if you just touch his garment, you'll be healed. So she had some sort of superstition, but she had an element of faith to just go and approach Jesus. David Guzik says this, According to the thinking of the day, when this unclean woman touched Jesus, it would make him unclean. But because of the nature of Jesus and the power of God, that's, that's not how it worked. When she touched his garment, Jesus was not made unclean. The woman was made whole. So when we come to Jesus, our sin doesn't make him unclean. Us coming to Jesus and touching him makes us whole. So don't ever let Satan make you think you cannot go to the foot of Jesus. He has multiple times when I teach, and even this morning, he goes, how in the world are you going to speak God's word? And then he brings in remembrance all the junk that I've bottled, and it's called my testimony. And that's gone, baby. (laughs) So don't ever let the enemy keep you from going to Jesus. Amen. Spurgeon said the Bible itself <laughs> the Bible itself gives us one short prayer which is suitable for all who are struggling with the beliefs and doctrines. It is Lord I believe, help my unbelief. I love it. We got to remember who God is. We got to remember that he is the creator of the universe. We have 66 books, countless prophets, countless examples that are true and historical facts pointing us back to the the majesty of God and how amazing Jesus is in each of our lives. You had 532 individual people see him after he was resurrected, right? You have Roman personnel, Roman historians that that talk about what he did and they're not even Christian, right? Don't let anybody detract you from your faith. I don't need a book off the shelf at Barnes and Nobles. I have one. That's all I need. Right now, I, I love expounding on the Bible. I love to read men and women that are solid in the faith, and, and they look at Scripture. So I'm not saying anything against that. But don't let anybody ever detract you from who you know Jesus to be. 
Romans 5.8, we've got Paul confessing something that he already knew. On the road to Damascus, Paul actually sees him. And he says in Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul, formerly known as Saul, was personally responsible for the persecution of Christians. He was on the road to Damascus to go get them and bring them back to jail them and persecute them. Gets blinded and realizes that, oh my gosh, if Jesus can save me and I have killed his saints, he can save anybody. Amen. And that's what he's saying here. Spurgeon says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but you must have it in you before you can work it out. Let's go to action. James 2.17, we've heard this before, it says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, I'm looking at this scripture and, and, and looking at in this point of view a little bit different. <clears throat> so the love of Jesus Christ and the faith in him should move us into action solely based on our faith. It should move us into action based on his promptings. And it should move us into prayer. Both the woman and Jairus acted upon their faith because of who Jesus is and because of their overwhelming need. Like I said, the woman didn't make an appointment to see Jesus. She didn't walk up and try and shake his hand. Um, she did all that she knew, which was to reach out. She, she lowered himself and reached out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. That was her action. It, it wasn't a grandiose action. Uh, it wasn't great, but it was all that she could do at that point in time. It was an action that was born out of a heart of faith. There's no specific action you have to have or that's prescribed as long as it's born out of a heart of faith. This is all she did. She forsook everything the world thought of her and reached out to Jesus. Likewise, you know, sometimes we get um, deceived by Satan, and he makes us think we have to do something, something great, something big, when that's not what Scripture teaches us at all. Jarius, the ruler of the synagogue, what was his actions? He begged Jesus to save his daughter. Now, he had some very purposeful actions. He sought Jesus out. You know, Jesus was coming back across the Sea of Galilee. Of course, of course I've said this before, that's actually a huge sea. It's not like, uh, you know, uh, Swift Creek Reservoir. It's gigantic, right? So he's coming back. People have heard of what he's done. So there's people all around. Jarius purposefully seeks him out purposely seeks him out and humbles himself in front of Jesus and begs him earnestly. These are all purposeful actions. So the question for myself, and I'll always ask this of me before I ask it of you, but do we do that? Do I do that? Do I seek Jesus out? Do you guys seek Jesus out? When something comes up, my first reaction is to think about, okay, well, have I done this before? What worked then? Let me put that into practice now. My first reaction is not usually to seek Jesus out. <clears throat> even though I might know the answer, even though maybe it's something really small. Ah, I'll, you know, I'll bother Jesus when it's something bigger. Mm -mm, mm -mm. 
We don't have a classification level in the Bible of you only seek Jesus when, right? Do we seek him out? Do we seek him out before we look to the influencers? Do before we look on Snapchat, on Facebook, on Instagram, before we read online news and see what the latest person who's well-known has done, do we seek Jesus out before that? I pray that we do. Because that is going to lead you astray every time, no matter what. Seek Jesus first is what he's saying here in these examples, just like they did. Do we set aside the busyness of the world and actually take time to seek Jesus out? Or do I let the compounding work schedule and, and how early I get up or how late I, I, I finally get done, do I let that set aside the time that I should be setting aside to see Jesus? Jerry has humbled himself before the Lord. <laughs> Church, do we? I, say, I laugh because... I'm not the most humble guy, so this like really speaks to me. Like, do I humble myself uh, before the Lord? Do we have such a puffed up pride of being so self-reliant that we can't humble ourselves before Jesus, the creator of the universe, our heavenly father, who knows every hair on our head, knows our, our, our first day from our last? Can, can we not humble ourselves before him? Uh, and I'm going to say, honestly, it, one question or one thing we may think about when this takes place is, are we too afraid to do that? Because when you do that, you admit your need. Right. You admit that you're not as self-reliant as the world puts so much uh, emphasis on. The world thinks you should be so reliant upon yourself. You can do anything with just you. No, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I don't read Scott Welch in this thing. He's not in there. So regardless of, of what we may think, these two personnel, Jairus and the woman, their actions to purposefully seek out Jesus and, and, and seek him out just with the hopes that he can heal are immortalized in the word of God forever because of what they did. The heavens and earth will pass away, but the word of God doesn't. So, you know, it's funny, this portion talking about self-reliance, my, my, you know, some of us like to steer the boat. Let's be honest. Some of us like to steer the boat. I'm the captain. There's no other hats around. I'm going to wear it. It's hard for us to do that. And the thing is, God knows. Jesus knows that you have a problem with that, and he's going to put things in your life to help get rid of that, right? So my Devo this morning, because, you know, I've been praying over this, and, and, I'm like, okay, okay. My diva this morning was um, relinquish control. I was like, okay. Because I kept going through my notes. Oh, I can put this here. I can put this here. And, and I read the diva. I'm like, I'm done. I'm just done. Okay. So blunt, bluntly, Satan does not want you to get close to Jesus. Never has, and he never will. He will, he will not relinquish his fight against you. And the reason why we have spiritual armor is to wear it, not to put it in the closet. Mm -hmm. The days I have forgotten to put it on are the days I have failed mm -hmm. and the days I have fell on my face, the days I haven't sought the Lord. Satan will do anything and everything, will fill your head with white noise 
to make you not humble yourself, to make you not approach him, and like the woman, to make you not reach out and touch him. But Jerry is begged, begged. He begged for Jesus' hand, an intervention in his daughter's life. Have, you, have we? Have I? Have you? And, and, you know, most of us will read the scripture, and you, go, you gloss right over begged. And I'm going to tell you why. In movies, cartoons, books, pictures, we've been given this picture of what begging looks like. And it's on your knees, with your hands clasped, and saying something repeatedly. That's not begging. Like, that's the world's picture of begging. Every person who begs of the Lord is different. It's going to be different for everyone. Don't think that begging looks like this. And I'll give you an example. I have a lot of examples, so I'm just going to use one. So uh, my wife was in a, a horrific car accident in 2016. Most of you know about that. Um, had a traumatic brain injury, and it was uh, a week or so before Christmas, uh, December 16th, right? So December 16th. And we came here that Christmas Eve service. It was too much for her brain to handle. So Christmas Eve at, uh, I would say, 2310, 11, 10 at night, my daughter's already in bed. Um, and, and my, my wife, I have to rush to the, the emergency room. My parents are in town for Christmas. I couldn't, I, I didn't know what to do. I turned off my porch light. I walked out on my front porch so no one else knew what was going on. And I looked up into the just dark sky where the, the stars were like diamonds. My arms out, and I was standing. I wasn't on my knees. I was standing, and I was crying out to the Lord. Like, I, like I was begging because I had come to the end of myself. Yeah. I had nothing in the tank. Yeah. And, and so, ironically, I got to say uh, Merry Christmas to our wife in the hospital room that night. But we got back, we got back at 3.30 in the morning. Just This is not my notes. We got back at 3.30 in the morning. My daughter hadn't woken up early for Christmas for like years. <laughs> that morning, she wakes up at like 6. I had like two and a half hours, three hours of sleep. I'm like, oh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> But the Lord worked it out. It was great. But begging is different for everybody, guys. There's no worldly picture of how it looks like. It's your heart condition that is begging. Not necessarily physical stature. So begging. Jarius knew there was no other way. He knew there was no other way. He'd come to the end of himself and realize it was the only thing he could do at that point in time. So... How do we apply what Jairus did, and how do we apply what the woman did in our lives? Now, let's remember, I want to bring this up. They were literally speaking to Jesus. They were physically right in front of him, right? So as we're, as we're reading this, we're, in the back of our minds are like, well, that was easy for them. They, they were in front of Jesus. Like, how do we do that? We can't do that now. We can't be in front of Jesus. We can't reach out and touch him, or can we? I beg to differ. Don't ever let yourself think you can't. Amen. Yeah, they may have had him in person, but have you ever prayed? You're immediately with Jesus. You're immediately in front of him. Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. If you've never attended like a prayer service, like we have one usually uh, once a month or even once a quarter, if you've never attended one, please attend one. It's amazing. But when you pray, that is how you approach Jesus. Matthew 6, 6 says, But you, when you pray, go into your room 
And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We pray. That is how we approach Jesus, just like they did. Our action, like theirs, to approach and to reach out and touch him, to beg him, to humble ourselves in front of him. It's accomplished through prayer. Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. You, you don't need any other verse, and there's a lot more, but that one. He is near to anyone who calls upon him in truth. Right? That is how we do in our lives what they did. They, they, they set aside specifically, they went before him, they laid their heart bare, and that's what we can do in prayer. So, one, one last thing. Jairus, I want to close out this portion with, uh, with him. Um, look at what Jesus says to Jairus. Jesus answers Jairus. Jesus does not answer the guy bringing the mail. Right? The guy who was there witnessing the daughter, breathing her last, runs to go tell him. Jesus doesn't address him. Not at all. Jesus addresses Jairus. And the, the reason is because Jesus is not concerned with how things appear. He knows how things are. So when things appear one way, don't let that change your mind. Jesus knows how things are and how they will be. That's why you have to go and seek him. If you go to him, he will stay your mind, the scripture says. Don't worry about the swirl to your left and to your right. Because if you look to the left or the right, you're going to go in that direction. Right? right? Jesus knows how things are. Keep your eyes upon him. Jairus was given two things. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Right? The first thing, do not be afraid. Now, for, of course, we all know Jairus is afraid that his daughter is going to die. It's the first thing running through his mind. Jesus doesn't say, don't be afraid that your daughter's going to die. He just says, don't be afraid. Stop. And then he says, only believe. Psalm 138, 8, one of my favorite verses says, He will perfect that which concerns you. Every day, every second, he will do it. And he's faithful to complete it. So what do we get from this? Purposefully go to Jesus in prayer. Don't listen to the things on your left and your right and the white noise the enemy is throwing at you. And believe. Now, there might not be immediate physical healing like happened here. The daughter was healed. The woman healed. There are some things that Jesus, or that God has put in our lives to glorify himself. So as I read this scripture, we see two examples of people fully healed, which is beautiful. But that's not always the norm. Okay? I want to I bring that up because I don't want anyone leaving saying, well, I prayed and it didn't happen. Two things. It happens in God's timing, not ours. Amen. And he has a purpose for all things. Amen. So as I call the worship team up, we're going to close in worship, and I'll come back out and close this out. I have, I have three points I just want to bring up. First one, uh, abandon worldly experience as your first response. Just abandon it. Toss aside that pride that keeps you from asking for help and stop caring what other people think. Just, just go to Jesus. Second thing, hold on to your faith in Christ. 
He is the very Son of God and fights on our behalf. Remember that our Heavenly Father holds you in His hands, and He is in control of everything. He cares for us. And the last point this morning, act upon your faith through prayer. If you've been neglecting it, go back to it. He's waiting for you, and it's easy. It brings you into his presence. Humble yourself before the Lord your God and ask him. He knows your heart's desire. He's just waiting for you to do it. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, and I'll leave you on this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Thanks. Praise the Lord. For, uh, thank you for coming out this morning. I pray that if your prayer life is dead in the grave, that he raises it Amen. Um, starting today. And uh, with that, pray that you have a, a safe rest of the weekend. Um, numbers 6, 24, 26, as we always close. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.